0: Welcome to Five. Aqua JPIA staff will ask guests five questions. The five questions will focus on pooling,
1: water, risk, HR, and leadership. Five responses with valuable information for JPi member agencies, boards, and staff. Thank you for listening. Please welcome our host and guest for today.
0: Thank you for joining us and welcome to another episode of Five. Thank you to David Hodgen for that wonderful introduction. And as always, thank you to Cliff Diver Music for all the music you'll hear on our episodes. A very special guest today. Uh, I'm very pleased to welcome the Aqua JPIA Chief Executive Officer, Andy Sells. Andy has been with the JPIA since 1990.
1: Welcome, Andy. Well, thanks, Rob.
0: Let's start. At, tell us about how you came to the Aqua JPIA.
1: Well, as you already mentioned, I started uh, in January of 1990. To give a little background for most of the people in the audience here, um, Joint Powers Authorities really got their start in in the late 70s, early 80s. As a matter of fact, the JPIA's first program, our first pool program, was our liability pool, uh, which started in 1979, actually October 1, 1979. And that's when a few pools got started. It's funny, I, I argue with Martin Brady over at Schools Insurance Authority on a regular basis, who was, who was really first, uh, who signed the joint powers agreement, but who had the first policy year. So we go back and forth on that. And, and that's where JPA's really got the start here in California. Then in the early 80s, about 82, 83, if you remember, that was the year that Time Magazine had their famous cover that, uh, America, your insurance has been canceled. And you saw a lot more joint powers authorities form in the um, early 80s then. Our property program actually began in 1983, and our workers' compensation program, believe, I think our first policy year is 1985 then. When I came to the JPIA in 1990, there, January of 1990, Jerry Stockett was the general manager who hired me. Jerry had been at the JPA for a few years then. Uh, Lyle Martin was president of the Aqua Joint Powers Authority. Lyle was from Consolidated Irrigation District. He is the original president at JPIA. Uh, Warren Buckner was vice president, also the original vice president at uh, JPIA. I think that year I started, we had, give or take, 25 employees, and I think we generated almost 15 to $18 million in revenues those first few years, and we had a little less than 200 members. So, uh, those are kind of the, the humble beginnings when I started there. I remember when I started uh, one of my first tasks, all of the financial statements were done on giant spreadsheets, handwritten spreadsheets. Back in the day, accountants had these fold-out papers. You would have 18, 19, 24 columns across the top there. And I remember converting those over into Lotus 1-2-3, uh, the, the precursor to uh, Excel, which we all use and know now. The, the pooling industry was still relatively new, even though we started, you know, a few pools started in the 70s. I think Kajapa, California Association of Joint Powers Authorities, started, I think they first formed late 80s, mid 80s, hadn't been around very long. I know Jerry Stockett, I think, was secretary of Kajapa at that point. And... So since that time and then obviously, uh, as I said, in the early 80s when the pooling, you know, uh, when insurance for public entities became so difficult, all those pools, that's when really Kajapa started to grow there. So that's kind of my beginning there at the JPIA uh, with handwritten uh, spreadsheets, trying to make them into Excel spreadsheets.
0: Uh, I'm assuming that our, at that point in time, Our pencil budget was about equal to our software budget uh, that we go through now. Yeah,
1: and and highlighters. Everybody (laughs) highlighted everything. You know, you always had drawers of highlighters. You know, highlights for assets, highlights for credits, and the way you went. And when you're in college and looking for your
0: jobs, it was insurance. How did insurance kind of get on your radar? Of
1: insurance is something I want to do. Well, didn't everybody want to be an insurance person when they were growing up? You know, really, I I kind of stumbled into it. My background is finance. I was actually the controller for a resailing boat organization here in Northern California. Ski boats, fishing boats, smaller, you know, larger boats as well. So it was through a kind of a friend of a friend type thing. So finance is what really got me into insurance. I didn't know anything about pooling when I started at GPIA. And now you don't
0: see a lot of people wanting to be, you know, going to insurance right out of college. Or, and it, it is causing a bit of a drain, I think, on the industry as a whole.
1: I, I think that's a fair observation. And, and it is true, you know, back in the days, back in the, you know, certainly the 70s, 80s and 90s. Insurance, that was, you know, Aetna, the number of people that you found in the pooling industry that got their start through Aetna because Aetna was real big in training. Travelers was another one where they had these training programs for people to get into insurance from the underwriting side, from the claims adjustment side, uh, from the revenue producing sides as well. So so the big insurance companies had large training programs and many, many people that you see in our industry at that time went through Aetna, CNA, um, Chubb, Travelers. They had the big training programs. And you just don't see that as much anymore.
0: And and I think there's a misconception that insurance is not an interesting or it's kind of a, a, a mundane industry. Though those of us in the industry know no day is the same as another one. Every day is something new, something different.
1: And that, that's very, very true. You know, you, you look at insurance, but really when you look at insurance, you're talking about managing risk. That's what insurance is about. Insurance is a way of financing risk, but you got to manage risk ideally the the best the most successful insurance programs are those that reduce your exposure to risk and and then of course there's the whole claims uh, management side of it and and No two claims are exactly alike. They change. You've been involved in claims yourself now for 25 plus years. So you get it. And it, there's the legal aspect of it. There's the people. There's the human side aspect of it. You know, risk. Can you, can you mechanically remove or reduce risk? Uh, How do you do it from a human side? And then how do you judge what risk is in our industry right now? Wildfire. We're all very aware of wildfires, and certainly here at JPIA, we've incurred a few losses there. But it's it's how do how do you know how much to charge? What is the value of that risk? You know, fire was always about the house catching fire, a building catching fire. You know, you have sprinklers, you you have composite roofs how do you deal with wildfire um the industry's comfortable i believe trying to estimate the risk the catastrophic risk of an earthquake certainly flooding and storm damage but wildfires a tough one and of course the emerging one for us these days is cyber insurance how do you, how do you manage cyber how do you know what your real risk is what do you finance cyber with
0: yeah it's a combination of behavioral economics and Economics and human factors, and engineering, and law, personnel management, it, just everything you can imagine. It is far, far broader than anyone expects. And and then once you get in it, you realize, wow, there's so much going on here.
1: Yeah, and and that's very true. And and the one you you didn't mention in there is nature. You know, you, we, we don't, we don't control nature much as people want to think they have some influence there. We don't.
0: And and I always said that, you
1: know, one of the biggest factors on our
0: exposures, our risk is climate, rain, because when it rains, that means there's more water, which means our members can engage in more projects, which means greater exposure to risk. Mm -hmm. And, So many different things, climate engineering and meteorology and all kinds of things you never would have thought of are part of this industry.
1: Yeah. You know, looking at rain, what about when there's not enough rain, when there's less rain? You talked about our exposure when there's a lot of rain, but the exposure is different, but there with less rain. At, when there's less rain, there's less revenue at the water agencies, and therefore there's less dollars to put into capital improvement projects. How do we replace pipelines? How do we update our automobiles? How do we get our employees the training they need when the revenue system is down? So it's kind of a double-edged sword for us, you know? Yeah, it becomes a cash management. So
0: now you've entered into the world of finance. <laughs> yeah, surprise. Everything. So, you know, as you said, you started in 1990, but so what are some of the accomplishments uh, at the JPIA that you brought and that you're most proud of?
1: You know, I, I would say there's there's been a lot of milestone accomplishments at the JPA. You know, obviously with 30 plus years, I've been able to see a lot of them here. And the JPA itself has done a lot of great things. I think there are several milestones going forward. It may not seem like a lot, but when i first started at jpia we used what we called a tpa a third party administrator to administer all of our claims and at that point that was liability property and workers comp so we paid another firm to administer claims early on and and you know you got to kind of credit jerry stockett for this this was kind of his vision of bringing that whole claims handling process in house hiring people to manage claims ourselves and 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 that's on Big milestone for us, right? At at that point, you know, a claim—you pay an independent third party. They just administer the claim. They don't really care what the outcome is. There, you could argue they have a financial incentive to keep the claim going longer. Uh, When it's in-house and and you have people, now you're looking at what's best for the pool, what's best for the water district. I remember a conversation with Dick Damon, uh, a a claims manager that we had in the past on the liability and property side. him coming to me and saying, you know, Andy, you're messing with all of the training I've received for the last 20 years here. And I asked him how that is, and he makes a comment, he goes, you know, my job uh, working for the private industry was to find a way to deny coverage. Uh, that's how insurance companies made money. You know, pay, paying claims doesn't make them money. I get here, Andy, you get here, and Andy, you're telling me that I'm supposed to find a way to have coverage for these water agencies for these claims. You want us to pay claims, and that's a fundamental difference. So I think that's a milestone, and that's certainly, you know, an accomplishment there. I think expanding our risk management department, you and I talked about that a little bit managing that risk, right? If you're just going to be average as a JPA, you won't be successful. The insurance companies... They, they, they know what average is. That's how they make money, right? They, they're, it's a numbers game for them. They're average. If you want to be a successful JPA in the state of California, anywhere, any self-insured pool, you have to be better than average. And the way to be better than average is to manage that risk. And so JPIA made a great effort to go out and, and visit with water districts, learn what they do, have risk managers that have been around for a long time, risk advisors, and and work with agencies to reduce their exposures to risk and then also create that source of information. So what works at District A, could it be applied at District B and C and D? And likewise, backwards, sharing that information, reducing members' exposure really had and continues to have a big difference in the way JPA manages our programs there expanding training, getting more training out to our members so that we reduce that exposure to risk there. I think, personally, some of my accomplishments, in 1995, we started our rate stabilization fund program, if you will. So, in the early days, once a year, there was this giant check trading process, right? We we would send out billings, we would adjust for old years, either we wrote a check to the member, the members wrote us checks in the liability program, then we did the same thing in workers comp, checks going to and from. Then we did the same thing in property, checks going to and from. So there was a lot of, of trading checks back and forth between the JPIA and the members. By 1995, late nineties, we had established ourselves. We had a good routine. We had sufficient funds to, to pay claims and, and had a little bit of reserves set aside for us. So with the rate stabilization fund is, and what we did is we basically each member was, you know, we generate a little bank account, each member. So as refunds go into this account, it fills up. If there's a year that owes money, then it comes out of that account. So we reduced that check flow so that really once a year, there's an invoice for the liability program, property program, work comps billed quarterly. We, we do the same thing in employee benefits. So So that really streamlined and smoothed that process there in 95. I think other large milestones in 2012, absorbing the Employee Benefits Department was a big thing at JPIA. At at the time, there were two JPAs associated with Aqua, uh, Aqua JPIA, us, and then the Health Benefit Authority, and many people remember that. And and the Health Benefit Authority was trying to get up to speed and everybody, they kept saying they wanna be just like JPIA, just like JPIA, and the thought was, well, how about JPIA? And it made sense because we here at the JPA had a lot of professional expertise in a lot of areas. More importantly, we understood insurance. And, And I'm not trying to tell you that health benefits is like liability. We both know that they're two different beasts. But but basic concepts are still there and the infrastructure to to do the billing and to administer claims and to do the underwriting and understand what changes need to be made, having a staff to do that um, I think made a big difference. And I think that was a big deal to the members of JPI, particularly everybody in the employee benefits program having some professional people looking at that program and looking at those options and and weighing those options, and then going back to the membership and asking them, hey, we could do this or we could do that. Which would you want to do? If we do this, this is the expected outcome. If we do that, the expected outcome. And bringing that expertise to the members for them to make those decisions, I think was a big impact to JPIA. And of course, I think in 2018, we started CWIF, our California Water Insurance Fund. That's our captive insurance company that's relatively new. And and I think that certainly we're new into that uh, program now. And that process is about using CWIF to kind of bundle our packages together, take advantage of cash flow opportunities there that allow us to sort of match our payments with our payout patterns and then start applying some of our reserves to other areas, sort of better utilizing our assets. And I think while we're just a few years into it, I think, you know, somebody 10 years from now now on, JPIA 5 is going to go, you know, one of the better things that happened at JPIA 10 years ago was this Yeah,
0: And I think all of these are examples how a small change plays out over time and this is not an industry where you get instant gratification. Uh, these are decisions that, over the course of the of the forty years, or you really then see in hindsight what a great idea it was at the time and, and how bold it was.
1: I, and I agree with you. I, that is that is truly insurance. It, it is it's the long run game. You know you you can't you can't do anything. I mean you know you administer claims for us. I, you have some claims that have been open for 8, 9, 10 years sometimes. It, right. it is the long run.
0: Yeah. I think all of those. I also think that your presence is one of the accomplishments of the organization in the stability you've brought to everything. Because the stability allows these decisions to go forward.
1: Thanks. It, it, it certainly helps. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I mentioned, you know, we started with uh, 25 employees uh, and 185 members. Now we're looking at almost 400 members, over 50 employees, and our revenues are about $200 million a year. So being able to see that process transpire. You know, the other thing you talked about, my stability, we've had great stability on our executive committee as well. And a lot of those members have been there, you know, eight, nine, 10 years or more. That really does create stability as well. And the same thing with our members. Um, You and I were talking the other day, we haven't seen anybody leave our program other than being absorbed by another district maybe, in years. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And so that also, that long-term stability there in the membership also helps. And, and long-term stability in the management team and, and the employees and, and at our executive committee and at our board level, all of those play a big role in our success.
0: Well, let me ask you a question about members and uh, whether they're a new member or a, a long-established member. If they were to ask you how to get the most out of the Aqua JPIA, what would you suggest to them?
1: That's a good question. Um, clearly, you know, I think the key word there is participate. Members need to participate, get play a part at JPIA. I mentioned it in the risk management. What's happening well at one district or not so well at one district, being able to share those with other members, participating in that process, I think, is really a, a key to that we have a lot of resources that we offer to our our members you know from everywhere from you know the risk management team going out and working with our members and i think working is is a good point there In the industry, when you get a visit from your insurance company, they're there to see what you're doing wrong, to quote unquote police what you're doing. Whereas our philosophy is way different. How can we help? And you know, some of our districts, they don't have the resources and and the people that are focused on safety in the workplace and not only safety for the employees, but safety at the facilities and taking advantage of those resources there, I talked about the training programs. We offer a professional development program. Um, We offer our training, our management training program. You know, the, the question early on, why did we start a management training program? And as you and I both know, when we look at our districts, those districts that are most successful have the most successful management teams. What, you know, at their board, senior management, all the way down through the staff. So so those are the resources that I say participate in. The other big one that has become so apparent right now is participating in all of the programs. All of the programs will have highs and lows. Workers' comp back in the late 90s, early 2000, oh man, prices were rates were going up 100, 200%. And and you're trying to keep up with that, losses were more than what we were collecting in premium, so we had to go back to the member agencies for additional funds. Luckily the rate stabilization program was in place and the liability and property program were generating Funds that helped offset the additional funds required for workers' comp. So, so going forward now, as we all know, the property program. You know, we had the wildfires in Paradise. We had the wildfires in El Dorado County, and just the entire property market worldwide is a very hard market. Premiums are going up 150 percent, 200 percent a year. And, and our losses are exceeding what we're collecting in premiums. Even though we're raising rates, we're, we're not going to double rates in a year. So we absorb those losses knowing that those in the rate stabilization fund, your refunds from workers' comp and or liability will offset that. So participating, and we're really seeing it now, participating in all of our programs, even including employee benefits. This year we had to raise rates in the property program 20%. And so members had to come up with an additional 20% for that. And, we're, and, and now cyber, we have to bill for cyber. On the flip side, we were able to keep our work comp rate steady. We were able to keep our, we hope to keep the liability program and we were able to reduce rates in the employee benefits side. So by participating in all of the pooled programs, not just one or two at a time, you, some years are going to be good in one program, bad in another. And as you go through in time, I think members will see a very stable outflow for their cost of insurance. It'll be very stable in the long run by taking advantage of that participation. I believe that
0: the, the multi-line participation is one of the biggest benefits uh, in the long term for a district. They they really see a huge benefit of that. It it all goes to the concept of that rate stabilization fund, of smoothing and and no wide swings at any one year.
1: And and I agree with you. And that's certainly been our philosophy for a long time is to maintain some stability there. And and at the JPIA we've been very very successful there.
0: You know, a part of your job is to work with the executive committee who are elected officials, and I'm sure you get plenty of phone calls from elected officials at our member districts. So what guidance do you have for other general managers or executives on how to work with their board and their elected officials?
1: Always a fun time, yes. I would say for me in in my role and what has worked well for me over the years here is engage with the board, engage with those public officials, get their input, get their ideas, Nobody runs for office to just have it and then walk away. I I think they want to participate. They want to be involved. So including them in that process, I think, just sets up a good rapport for everybody. Make them part of the team. Certainly, the biggest challenge that all of us will face, um, and you and I have talked about it, is the difference between policy and procedure. Boards are there to set policy. They give me, the general manager, the executive officer, what they want accomplished. When they start trying to tell me how to accomplish that, that's procedure, that's kind of their role. So that's kind of the fine line that all of us as general managers, executive officers have to follow. You want them to give you policy. You want their input, you want their engagement, But you have to caution them when they start moving into procedure and if you have that good rapport with them if you take their phone calls when they call and you answer them honestly and you give them all of the information they ask for i think they get it so that when the time comes and you have to say hey board member you're, you're treading into the procedure area here. You're trying to tell me how to do it. And, and that's, we got to be careful there. That's not your role. That's not my role. You tell me what you want done. I can tell you how I'm going to do it. And, and I think keeping them engaged allows me to have those conversations and both of us appreciate it. All of us appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I, I think transparency, uh, being responsive, those are our keys to the whole process.
1: I agree. I agree. Give yeah. them the information they ask for.
0: Well, in addition to uh, dealing with elected officials, you have to lead a, a, a group now of fifty plus. And what are you? What advice do you have for up and coming leaders on how to effectively lead a group of people?
1: And certainly, my my answer today would be different than my answer ten years ago. To be quite honest with sure. you. you, you learn as as you go along there. I would say that, you know, and as I look back in life in different positions, the same thing is you need to be patient, of course, but you've got to allow people to, to take a chance to lead, to allow people to do what they do. You know, a lot of times when you're in managing, you know, particularly the the whole performance review process, there is, you know, how how you could do this better. You can do that better. I think one of the, the secrets and one of the successful traits of a leader is helping people use their strengths. We're all way better at what we do well than what we don't do well. Right, so helping promote them. What their what are their strong parts? You know, me, I, I like to talk, so giving me that opportunity. Some people are very analytical. Give them their chance to analyze and do that before you get the response for them. So allow others to lead. They'll they'll do a good job for you. They want to perform for you if you ask them to perform. And um, I remember, you know, Dan Claff, uh, the the CEO in front of me. He I always have said. You know, Dan was great at giving me enough rope to make a hammock or make a noose. Uh, it was it was kind of my choice there. and um, But he was very good at promoting people to expand. And, and that's what I've tried to do as well, is allow people to reach past. Not everybody wants to, but, but those that want to. Allow them to reach and be more and become more than, than they currently are. People need the opportunity to succeed and fail. I mean, we learn from failure as much as we sometimes we maybe learn more from failure than success because we kind of expect success. Um, I know certainly um, I've learned a lot from my failures.
0: Yeah I, I think learning from failure is an important task. Uh, you know there's a, um, a saying that people will reach the highest level they're able to fail at. <laughs> And be trusted to fail. I, really, that's what it is. You have to, as I would think, a leader. You have to give, let people know that they are valued enough that they can fail and still proceed in the organization.
1: I and I think that's very true. I, I agree. And I remember a quote. I can't remember who did it. You know, I only have to be successful on the last try.
0: Yeah, there you go. You know, that goes right with the other quote, which is "fail early, fail often." Because through failures, you you find out what works.
1: Certainly has worked for me.
0: Yeah, that's the scientific method of, of oh, this didn't work, so let's try something else. And, yeah. and that succeeds. Oh, this has been extremely interesting, and thank you so much for giving us your time. And thank you to our listeners for listening. And as always, if you have questions, you can reach us at podcast at aquajpia. We look forward to you subscribing and liking and commenting on every platform. Uh, Thank you again to Andy Sells. This has been great.
1: Thank you, good time. Thank you for listening to Five. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star review and leave a comment.
0: Have a topic you would like to learn more about? Email us at podcast at
1: aquajpia.com. Thank you to Cliff Diver Music for producing our music. And until next episode, thank you for making us a part of your day.